Welcome back to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. When we talk about the quote-unquote organized community of non-belief, we're talking about the big four organizations that have positioned themselves to represent the interests of atheism, agnosticism, and humanism. That is, the American Atheists, American Humanist Association, the Freedom From Religion Foundation, and the Center for Inquiry. In the past, most of their leaders and members have been predominantly white and male. However, just as the demographics of the country are changing, so too is this movement. Over the last decade or two, all of these groups have addressed the issue to one extent or another. And many now have people of color and women in leadership positions throughout. The representation, however, in leadership must also lead to other changes. That's a point argued by political scientist and demographer Dr. Yuhem Navarro-Rivera. He studies non-believers of color like himself. His research shows that non-believers of color have different interpersonal challenges in their communities, using different labels to identify their beliefs and when it comes to policy issues. They often have diverging political priorities from their white counterparts, most notably on issues such as church-state separation. To learn more, producer Kimberly Winston caught up with Navarro Rivera from his home in Washington, D.C. Now, we should note here, Navarro Rivera has agreed to be a contributor to Only Sky, but has not yet written for the media outlet. What can you tell me about the size and the makeup of the non-religious community of color? Yes, so the non-religious community of color is about one-third of all people who are not religious. Uh, So 65% are white, about 15% are Hispanic, Latino, Latinx, 9% are African-American or Black, 5% Asian or Asian-American, and then, like, you know, like the reminder, like, kind of like 4, 5% are mixed race, some other race, or refuse to state their race. But essentially, it's a little bit more of one-third of the one-third of the population that are not religious in the country right now. In the publicity for Only Sky, they think that about one-third of all Americans are not religious, and they put that number at about 84 million. Do you agree with those numbers, or are those numbers different than yours? Uh, That passes the quick smell test. It passes the quick smell test? Yes. We have close to 30 million or so non-religious people of color in the country. Tell me how the non-religious community of color is the same as and different from the majority of people who make up uh, the community of unbelief who happen to be predominantly white. So they are mostly living religion. The case of the Latinx non-religious people, which mostly has been the focus of my research, it's, you know, mostly people not identifying as Catholics. I, I wouldn't say leaving Catholicism because, I mean, a lot of people, if you know anything about Latinos and people in Latin America, is that, you know, you, and that includes my example, people are baptized, they may do a few sacraments, but a lot of people don't go to church, they don't, they don't do it on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and so it's just you know, people just stopping identifying with, with that tradition. Uh, and that has been most of the growth, I, th- I think, in the last decade. But one thing is that not just for Latinx, but also for African-Americans in particular, 
they are less likely to identify as atheist or agnostic. So they are more likely to say nothing in particular rather than saying that they are atheist or agnostic. And they're also less likely to say they are convinced that they don't believe in God. I know that in the past, there has been stigma around the idea of, quote, coming out as a non-believer. And I understand that in the community of color, that stigma is even higher. Can you talk about why? One is, it's just assumed that you are, particularly if you, if you are Latino like me, uh, that you're a Christian. Mm. Most likely that you're a Catholic. And it happened many times, you know, when people ask me, oh, what church do you go? And I was like, eh, eh, none. There's this assumption, not just from outsiders, but within the community that faith is a, is a cultural trait that binds us together, mm. which my research shows that not really. You know, language is more important than faith to some extent. But also, we need to think about what kind of faith we're talking about. So being Catholic, it's totally different from being Protestant in many Latinx communities, mostly because Catholicism is already embedded through colonialism. <laughs> and so it's more of a cultural practice than a religious practice. So it means that it's easier for people like me who, you know, like was baptized, was confirmed, even went to Catholic schools to, you know, disappear, go back the back door and nobody's going to notice. And then they will drift away. But many, particularly Pentecostal communities in the Latinx community are like small congregations, mostly run by like a pastor and the members of those churches are their family, neighbors, friends. So breaking away from that, it carries a bigger social weight, right? Mm. Because you are, you know, you're not just breaking, you're just not stopping to go to a parish from a priest that you just see once a week. Like you're breaking with your friends, you're breaking with your family. And that's, that's much harder. And I think that explains why, you know, the, the, the amount of Latinxes who are living in the Catholic Church is like, orders of magnitude larger than Protestants. The same way with African-Americans, I would say, although I don't want to generalize through the experience, but there's a lot of discussions about like how the black church is one of the main institutions that, that you know, has led the, the community through you know, the civil rights movement, through liberation. And so thinking about breaking up from that history in that community, it, it just doesn't look good in the eyes of many. And, and so, you know, it carries a kind of like different weight. You also talk about in your research that non-believers of color tend not to be joiners of the, you know, of, of organized non-belief. Things like American atheists, American humanists, um, Freedom From Religion Foundation, uh, all the things that we think of as organized non-belief. Why is that? <sighs> You know, a lot of people just, you know, want to live their life or they, they don't want to make atheism the, the main thing they do, you know, with their spare time. You know, I know many atheists and non-religious people of color who are like members of organizations that I am that are not secular organizations. You know, they're more interested in social justice. They're more interested in civil rights. They're more interested in the environment, which are things that you know, we could be doing in secular organization, and to some extent we do, it's just that they don't look at it in the same way. And so, you know, the, why should I give my money to 
the Center for Inquiry or American Atheist or the American Human Association and my time when I could do this with the NAACP or with like Unidos or uh, any other organization that, you know, does this for my people. <laughs> In the essay that you shared with us and that I believe we'll put up on our website, you said that often non-believers of color um, their secularism can take a backseat to other aspects of their identity, like their racial identity or their gender identity. Can you talk a little bit about how that plays out? Separation of church and state is a very low priority issue for people who are not atheists or agnostic. So the non-religious who are just like nothing in particular. And that's most of the people of color who identify as not religious are essentially nothing in particular. Right. Uh, they have high other priorities in, in terms of policy, particularly those who are material, right? Like, you know, universal health care, increasing wages. Um, but these particular issues that are often championed by secular organizations are not necessarily high on their list. Of course, right. there's, there are exceptions. There are people who, who, who you belong to the organizations that they do care about this. But for the most part, most people of color are not particularly moved by, by those. Mm. There are two ways in which that can be solved. One is outreach and kind of like linking these larger issues that has to do with essential discrimination and Christian dominion of our society to some extent, or like, you know, you, you can just move on, you know, like you, you're not going to get those people, but having to say that you're committed to diversity without essentially making changes to your outreach strategy, essentially, it's not a good middle way. But I mean, if you mean that, you know, you have to kind of like change your strategy because if your events, I will say I've seen a lot of change over the years. So I, I think things have gotten better. But if, if most of your events are about, like, God, you know, people don't care about that. Or if your meetings are about mocking religious people, like, you know, a lot of people have religious families. I mean, you know, some of my best friends are religious and I don't think they, you know, they're dumb. <laughs> I mean, they're very smart people and I love them. So are you saying that organized non-religious groups like American atheists, American humanists, that they could attract more diverse people? If they didn't focus on, you know, disproving religion or bashing religion and instead focus on what you might call um, a secular agenda of universal equality, health care, good public schools. Is that what I'm understanding you to say? To a large extent, yes. Uh, and I think, you know, past the stage of new atheism, I think we are seeing less of the religion mocking yeah. uh, in, in, in many other organizations. But yeah, I think moving into an agenda that is more comprehensive, maybe not necessarily away from all separations, church and state issues, but certainly into how to make those issues relevant to other aspects of life. Only Sky's founder, Sean Harden, and its editor, Phil Zuckerman, both told me that what they really want to do is emphasize the diversity of the secular movement. From where you sit... Are they particularly well positioned to be able to do that? I mean, they have at least the current group that I've seen in the website includes, you know, a lot of people that I 
that I like and, and know, like Anthony Cruz, who is the chaplain at Tufts University. There's Dr. Anthony Pien, who I think is going to do a podcast. Alex Jules. So there's a lot of people who have been involved in the movement for a while. Or in the case of Anthony, it's kind of like a younger voice. Now, of course, we can't forget the, the big one, which is uh, Heman Meta, the main blogger for The Friendly Atheist, which is the most popular secular blog in the planet, probably. And I think bringing that different perspectives that we don't really hear much uh, in secular communities. And I think that that's an important change. So th these are voices that I think people like me would know, but the larger world of people who may read The Friendly Atheist wouldn't know. And I think that brings a, an important perspective. Do you think that non-believers of color need a place like Only Sky? I would say yes, in the sense that, you know, many eons ago, it dawned on me that I wasn't the only Latino atheist in the planet. <laughs> I didn't expect that, you know, like one-eighth of the Latino population was not religious. Mm -hmm. um, now it's double that. Mm -hmm. And so I started a blog in those days. And so I met many people in the community who were basically Googling Latino atheists and found me. Mm -hmm. uh, I met many good friends in this community through that blog. Mm -hmm. And there hasn't been a space like that. There's Facebook groups. And there are like local meetups that do that, but there, there, there's still no space where we can congregate and kind of like express ideas. Mm. Uh, and so in that regard, yeah, this is a necessary space. And if it's a space that is welcoming for us, uh, yes, then yes, like we would take it. Are you, as a non-believer of color, are you excited about Only Sky? Yes, because I think one of the things that we have needed over time has been what I call a counterpublic. The term comes from Melissa Harris Perry, and it's essentially a media infrastructure which allows us to control our own narrative. We have had these blogs and, and whatnot, but we, we have never had like a centralized place where we could go. And now this, you know, like only sky is going to be multimedia. So I think it's a good start to have like these counter public in which we can start telling our stories from our perspective. And if uh, to the extent that those stories include the stories of the people who have traditionally not been associated with the movement, like people of color, elevating those voices, is it's going to be a win-win situation. <laughs> Dr. Yuham Navarro Rivera is a political scientist, writer, public speaker, and research consultant. He is the political research director and managing partner at Socioanalytica Research and a senior fellow at the Institute for Humanist Studies. That's all for this week's show. To learn more about this week's guests and topics, check out this week's show notes at interfaithradio.org. While you're there, you can also learn about us, sign up for our newsletter, and explore the archives. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or by searching Interfaith Voices in the podcatcher of your choice. While you're there, help us out by leaving a rating and a review. It helps others find us. This week's episode was produced by Kimberly Winston and Kevin McCarthy. 
A special thanks to our founder, Maureen Fiedler, for her vision and MC Yogi for our theme music. Additional music by Blue Dot Sessions and Audio Binger. This week's episode brings attention to the importance of telling your own story and equally important, the need to have a place to share it. Back in 2018, we hosted a live story slam and it was a pretty amazing experience and we want to do it again. This time we're organizing a virtual story slam, making it possible for you to participate from wherever you are. We're going to be exploring this time the relationship between rituals and renewal. If you have an experience to share, be it a breakthrough or a struggle, we want to hear from you. Send us an email to storyslam at interfaithradio.org. That's story, S-T-O-R-Y-S-L-A-M at interfaithradio.org. Inspired is a production of Interfaith Voices. We're a nonprofit and we rely on the generous support of our listeners to bring you this show. I'm your host and executive producer, Umbreen Khan. Wherever you are, I hope you are safe, I hope you are well, and that you stay connected. I'll see you next week. <laughs>